now. Okay, let's get this web conference underway. We'll start with a karakia. Greetings, everyone. Haere mai, and welcome to our primary industries virtual field trip. This is our second field trip web conference, and this field trip is supported by the Ministry of Primary Industries, MPI. And right now we are in a lab at Plant and Food Research, and we've got two experts with us this morning. We have got Chrissy here, Hi. and Vincent. Marina. And we'll just get Chrissy and Vincent to tell us a little bit about their job so that you can find out what work they do here at Plant and Food Research in, are we Hastings, are we Havelock North, are we Napier, where are we? Well, we are in Havelock North uh, here, um, and so my job is science group leader, uh, so it's, it's multiple roles. Uh, one is about uh, research uh, leadership, uh, so determining the direction of the research we do and the breeding goals we have for the apple and pear breeding programs, rootstock root program, and uh, the summer fruit programs. And But also my specialist area is resistance breeding. So uh, here, uh, I'll just show you an apple that looks pretty horrible. It's got apple skin on it. So uh, normally growers use fungicides to control the disease. My role is to actually make the apples resistant uh, so that they don't need spraying anymore. Right, thanks Vincent. And Chrissy. Oh, kia ora. Um, I'm a research associate here at Plant and Food Research and I'm part of the PIP fruit breeding program. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, I just look at all the, the plants and trees that are we are breeding to make new cultivars of apples and pears, and at the moment we are tasting a lot of fruit that we harvested a few months ago to see if anything um, is good enough to look at in further research. Um, right now we are sitting in a lab, hence the lab coats, and if you have a wee look around, you'll be able to see a little bit of the room. So the learns teacher, a 360 spin of the laptop, and you'll get to see the lab more in videos today. Um, but lots of interesting work going on here about apples and other fruit and food and trying to make the, the best food possible by the likes of controlling disease like Vincent talked about and trials and all sorts of things. And lucky Chrissy gets to eat quite a bit of fruit, some better than others by the sounds of things. So it's a beautiful day here in Havelock North. Um, I get a little bit confused about where I am in this part of the country because Hastings, Napier and Havelock North are so close together and I'm from the South Island where everything is really spread out. So hence me asking where we were this morning. So a beautiful day, looking forward to getting out on the orchard again and having a look around the, the research labs also. So lots going on and we're going to find out a bit more about apple varieties and selective breeding. So it's going to be a really interesting day. So welcome along to our speaking school and of course our ambassadors. We have Maya, the cheeky care, the learns ambassador and we've got Aruru, Ti, Tiaki, who is from St Joseph's School. So they wanted to say a big shout out before we we started 
and welcome to our speaking school. We've got students from Tamatia Intermediate. Welcome along. We'll get started with your questions. Um, I'm not sure what those questions are at the moment, but I believe we've got 10 of them. So we'll do our best to answer those. And if you can each ask questions separately and introduce yourself so we know who we're talking to. Okay, we'll start with your first question, please. How do you think the LEARNS project will change society? The LEARNS project? Well, the LEARNS project does heaps of different field trips. So we hope to inform you students so that you can make better decisions for yourself and, and see what's available around Aotearoa that you can get involved in and take action in. And in terms of the primary industries field trip, we hope that you get a better knowledge of the kind of food that we can produce in New Zealand and the science behind that, because there's a whole industry um, supporting um, our exports of the likes of apples and lots of different jobs that you can be involved in, lots of science and technology. So we hope you get an idea of that. But you guys here at Plant and Food Research, how do you want to impact on people? Society. Do you have any any expectations of where your work might lead to? Want me to start? Uh, as I say, uh, so the the breeding program is all about uh, developing new cultivars. Uh, yeah, consumers uh, have a preference for certain varieties, uh, but in twenty years' time. Um, uh, preferences might change. Uh, you as kids, you might like certain apples now, uh, but uh, would you still like them in 30 years' time when you're an adult? Uh, so we try to anticipate uh, what uh, what new varieties should look like, what should be in them. But from my specialist field uh, with resistance breeding, uh, so we try to make them resistant, uh, so less fungicides um, and pesticides on the fruit so that the whole zero residue thing, that the fruit are clean which also has other impacts uh, like uh, a cleaner environment and uh, need less energy to produce the fruit uh, because the tractors don't need to go through the orchards and spraying. And so there's all kinds of aspects to uh, breeding new cultivars. And Chrissy. Um, yeah, following on what Vincent said, pretty much just trying to find a way of making new varieties of apples that are got less chemicals on them, um, something that tastes nice, might look a little different than what you're used to. So at the moment we've got looking into making apples that are red inside or red fleshed. Um, and also the snack apples, looking at making smaller, nice nice eating apples that are, can be used for like kids in little lunch boxes. And yeah. Thanks. I'll just, I'll just add on, Sally, too, another thing about LEARNS. What we hope to do, too, for example, this field trip looking at the apple industry, often kids get a lot of information from their parents. So we want to update you in the modern world about what an industry like this is rather than what your parents might have thought when they were younger and passed on to you. So this is just another view of things. And LEARNS has had a very long association with our conservation field trips. So we feel we've had a role in thousands, tens of thousands of students have looked at our field trips and taken part of about our native species. And we hope that we have 
raised the profile or done our bit to help people become aware of those things. Mm, and this, this field trip, I find particularly interesting because there's been so many advances. I remember eating apples as a kid and they, they were okay, but I ate an apple yesterday, an envy apple, um, which is a recent cultivar or variety that they've developed here and they mainly export. And man, it was really good. It was crispy, it, was, it tasted good, it looked good. It was just an amazing apple. So it's been naturally bred for those characteristics and it's science like that that's helping feed the world. So it's not just about making pretty and good tasting apples, it's also learning about how to be sustainable and as productive as we can so that there's enough food for all those billions and billions of people. So very important. Great question to start. Thanks, Tomatea Intermedia. And we'll have your second question, please. Um, how will this help us with learning? So, so the field trip, the, the primary industries one in particular, what, what kind of things do you think students are going to learn this week? Chrissy? Um, they're going to see how new apples, what, what we look for in new types of apples and the types of lab equipment we use these days to look at how juicy um, or what determines how red an apple is or how long we the type of test we used to see how long an apple can last in storage things like that and vincent i believe too uh, you'll be visiting uh, orchards isn't it uh, so uh, the other part is uh, to 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 hear from growers how they deliver a consistent product i mean if you go to the shop and you buy maybe your um, uh, chocolate fish uh, you know that every time you go to the shop and you buy one you know what it tastes like so you have expectations and and there's just uh, like I was saying around uh, the food quality yeah, it can vary because each year the weather is different that has an impact on how the fruit grows and what the texture will be like at the end of the growing season when it's harvested so uh, what the industry is trying to do is uh, better understand the influences of the the environment to deliver a consistent product in, uh, to the consumer. That every time you buy an apple in the shop, uh, that you know what tastes like this, and I expect it to taste like this uh, next time I buy it. So I'll just add, I'll just add a little bit <coughs> there, Shelley. If you take part in this field trip, you're getting the latest information rather than something you might be able to Google. And you're also getting access to a place like an orchard that you might not otherwise be able to go to and the uh, packing places and cool stores so you get a good understanding by the time you've been on this field trip and read some stuff maybe done an interactive activity taken part in this web conference and watched some videos later you're getting information that some of it's written some of it's oral and some of it's visual so i hope that helps your learning Indeed, and you'll see lots of technology and apparently it's Tech Week this week. So this is a good field trip to do during Tech Week. We saw lots of technology in the packing house yesterday. Um, you, you might just think of apples being picked and put into boxes. Well, it's a lot more sophisticated than that. They get sorted, they get um, graded depending on their colour and size and weight and all sorts of things. So do check out the videos about that whole process which are online for you today. We'll stay online. Okay, question three now, please. Um, how many people a year sign up for this? 
Okay, so all your questions seem to be about the LEARNS program. Um, usually our questions are about the topic that we're doing the field trip on, so we'll, we'll do our best to answer these. But um, So can you just repeat that? I've forgotten now that what, you, what you've asked me. How many people a year sign up for this? Uh, okay, so for our field trips, well, it depends on the field trip. You know, this, this field trip's during Tech Week, so there's a bit of interest in that. And we've got uh, 72 classes from all around the country signed up to join us and learn about our primary industries and, in particular, apples and the export of those. Um, we, we often have more classes than that as well, and it just depends. So we'll do 14 field trips usually a year, 12 to 14 field trips, and usually 50 to... 200 classes will sign up depending on the topic and the time of year. So yeah, Learns is getting into lots and lots of different places around the country and we get to connect with lots of different people on our field trips. So it's it's a big audience and what we hope to do for you is connect you with the likes of our brilliant experts here that you wouldn't otherwise get to meet and they certainly wouldn't have the time to go around 72 classes and talk to them about their work. So if you've got some questions around apples and primary industries, that'd be great. So then these, these wonderful experts here can um, give a good shot at answering those. So another question, please. How do you check for pests? Sorry, can you repeat that? How do you check for pests in apples? That, that's a good one. How do you check for pests in apples? Good question, because that's a really big issue. Yeah. So uh, in, the, in the breeding program, we actually inoculate uh, seedlings uh, with uh, diseases. Uh, like even when we grow a new seedling and they only have three or four leaves, we inoculate them with scab and see which ones uh, are susceptible, which ones are resistant. And so we actually cut out uh, the susceptibles. Uh, we often uh, follow up with field evaluations. Uh, so uh, we grow the trees, we don't spray them. The disease is all around in the orchard. So if you don't control them, the trees will get sick, uh, but the resistant ones will stay clean. And so we, uh, we will select those and discard um, or cut the, the trees that are not uh, resistant. Uh, so that's one way of doing things. Uh, I can talk about market-assisted selection. If you talk about technologies that we use, uh, it's all in the background. You won't see that in the orchard. It's what we use in research. Happy to talk about that too. Mm, and we're going to see some of the wonderful technology that's being used to to help um, rid our orchards of pests and diseases. And you even can use a drone, Vincent. Can you tell us about that? Yes, uh, so, um, well, my colleagues tomorrow will talk about it, uh, but uh, drones are used in many ways. Uh, but um, for example, and, and they've done it in forests, uh, that um, the, because disease trees have a different uh, radiation spectra and so uh, they have a special camera on the drone and they can fly them over forests or orchards and actually see uh, which trees are um, badly affected by disease. And so you actually don't need to go into the orchard. Uh, so at the moment we are not using that technology here, but um, we are very small scale. Uh, but uh, yes, and large scale studies, uh, they use that kind of technology. And so be a drone operator uh, rather than a scientist and get the results you want. 
Mm. And I've heard of drones being used for all sorts of things, um, releasing uh, chemicals like pheromones of, of insects to try mm. and control them so that they don't successfully breed and become a real problem. And I've heard yeah. of drones being used to take imagery and even find kauri trees that are affected by dieback disease. So there's lots and lots of different applications. And of course, a drone is a lot cheaper to use than a helicopter. So it's a good use of of technology so if you like your uh, handheld um, operated things then you may become a drone operator and there'll be all sorts of work that you could do and question five now I think we're up to Tamatea Intermediate how successful is that process so the process of controlling pests and diseases. Yep. Well, so at the moment, uh, pests and diseases uh, in the orchards uh, are controlled by using pesticides. It's just the way it is. It, there's no uh, resist, resistant cultivars out there. So the growers, uh, they walk into the orchards and they do the monitoring uh, they see because it's not that if you see one branch uh, with say mildew that you need to spray the whole orchard uh, you need to determine the threshold to say well there's too much now i need to get in and do the spraying and so for all pests and diseases the uh, monitoring uh, protocols have been developed and uh, then based on those the growers will uh, say yeah i need to spray and go in there you know, I think sometimes if it gets really bad, an orchard may have to be um, removed. So the whole, whole, all the trees might need to be removed and that um, area used for something else or new trees planted because they're just too affected by disease or, or pests and the best way to control them is to remove them. But that's the worst case scenario. So there's lots of different methods and the amount of spray used in orchards has gone down a lot since um, science has got involved in and given us lots of other tools to use as well. So spray is used as little as possible, but it's just like medicine for people. Sometimes you need it to stay healthy. Okay, next question, please. What is the most common apple disease? Ah, yes. Right, yeah, well, it, it, it differs in uh, different parts of the world, but here, certainly here in New Zealand, uh, uh, apple scab, uh, I'll mention the the, uh, the botanical name, Venturia inequalis, is, is a major disease uh, that comes back every year if you have infection period, um, which means having the right conditions, which is a bit of wet weather, the right temperatures, and the disease will be there. And um, in fact, uh, growers may need to spray 15 or 20 times in one season to control their disease. So that's pretty serious. Uh, but that is one, well, this is, as I said, this is apple scab, but uh, it, it um, detracts from the fruit. It looks pretty ugly, but other diseases actually affect the tree. And so if you take a disease like fire blight, um, it actually doesn't happen every year because uh, it, it, it's a bit more specific in the, re in the requirements it has to establish disease. And so it's not around every year, but if you don't control it, it actually does kill the whole trees. As Shelley was saying, if, you, if you're not on top of it, um, you'll lose the tree. And so you, you lose a number of years of production if you actually need to replace that tree. Uh, so 
it's not a good thing for the growers. So that's coming back to what I said before. Uh, disease monitoring is a very important part of it. But at the same time, that disease monitoring is about reducing the number of sprays required and only spray when required and not based on what happened in the past. On the calendar, the growers just went out every week and sprayed. So that's uh, all that's in the past now. Mm, which sounds much better when you think about people just going out and spraying because it's, say, a Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what they're used to doing. Yeah. Um, or Wednesday, in this case. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, now it's, it's a lot more scientific and targeted, which is good to know. Okay, question number six now, please. Um, how many trees do you lose a year? Ooh, I don't know whether these guys will know about that because they're scientists in the lab here and not apple growers, but do you have any idea, guys? Sorry, how many trees? How many trees are, are lost? Um, it, um, if you think of an orchard, an average uh, planting density, there's two, uh, 2,000 trees per hectare and there's 9,000 uh, hectares of fruit. Um, and so there's a few million trees around in the ground, but uh, some diseases, uh, if in a bad year, I mean, particularly with fear being highly susceptible, a whole orchard can be lost. So uh, it can be thousands of trees in a year. But uh, as I said before, uh, the whole idea is to be out there uh, monitoring the disease and not to get to that stage. Also, trees are lost because they're no longer um, producing well and they get to be replaced. So how does that work? It's an economic decision of the grower. Uh, so uh, we have, there's still quite a few old orchards out there, uh, indeed that have trees that are quite big, four or five meters tall. Uh, these days growers all go to uh, uh, plant trees that have a dwarfing rootstock, which means that the trees stay quite small. And then also you can grow the tree in a shape uh, where all the fruit uh, get sunlight on them because if you have fruit growing inside close to the stem and um, of the tree and they never get sunshine, they don't color well. So it's one of those things what I talked about before is uh, the economic production of apple means that you want a lot of color on the fruit. Uh, you don't want a green gala, you want one that's fully covered. They, they Consumers pay more for that. Uh, so there's a lot of little things that make that the growers can actually grow a crop that is 100% meeting uh, the, the fruit standards. Yeah, and we went to a trial block orchard yesterday, and it's the first video from yesterday, and you'll be able to see some of the different ways the growing systems that they're using for um, apple trees and the different ways you can grow them where you train the tree to grow on these wires so that it just grows out this way rather than branching out like a normal tree. And then it, it, as Vincent said, gets more sun and more airflow and the tree can stay healthier, makes it easier to pick the apples. There's all sorts of things that you can do um, in the way that you grow your trees that can make it easier for apple growers and produce better apples. And question number seven now, please. Yeah. Um, have you guys been related with the making of the new PNG um, robotic apple picker? Ah, the oh. apple picker. Yeah, well, um, 
I think that was made in America, was it? Yes. Yeah, it was developed in America by a company over there, but they bought it and trialled it here in New Zealand in the apple picker. Um, the need for it is because there's just so much orchards here in Hawke's Bay and there's not enough workers to pick all the apples. Some orchards actually get some of their workers at the moment to work at night time and these headlamps to pick because there's not enough people to pick all the apples. We're growing more and more apple trees all the time. So they got a company from, I think it was America. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, America. And they bring that robot here to trial it and see how it will go with picking apples. And I think they can set it to pick a certain type of red. So it will only pick certain types of, if they're ready to be picked. Yeah, we had a bit of a chat with um, Duncan yesterday about the the robotic picker. We couldn't see one in action, unfortunately, because it's it's still being tested. But um, it was really amazing to think that this robot could recognise when to pick the apple by the colour that Chrissy talked about. And I think it used a vacuum system to pick it without damaging it. And um, this prototype had one arm, so it could pick one apple at a time. But the idea is that in the future it will have multiple arms and it will be able to pick um, a lot quicker than people and if you grow your apple trees along the wires out this way so it's only one plane of of apple branches then robots can work along each side and between the the rows and pick really really quickly so it will help to harvest apples um, in a much shorter time and I guess would it help with the likes of if you knew there was some bad weather and you wanted to get all your apples in before, yeah. say, a, a hailstorm? Um, yes, it would, because at the moment, if there's some bad weather coming up, they have to try and pick as quick as possible. But unfortunately, if it starts raining, then they stop, and they usually miss out with picking all the apples of the trees. With the robot, I guess it can just get in there quickly. They're not having to go up and down ladders like people. They can carry a lot more. I think they have big containers, so they're not having to go and drop the apples off to bins. Yeah, that's saving a lot of time. Mm, so amazing technology. Great question. And question number eight, please. How big do the apples get? Like, what's the biggest apple that you've seen? That's a good question, because we did see some big ones yesterday. Yeah, so uh, envy is actually quite a large fruited apple. Uh, They they can grow to 200, 250 grams, uh, so which means like four apples in a kilo. But uh, And we have quite a lot of uh, germplasm here, which means it's a collection of old cultivars uh, and... um, there's actually one in there which is called 20 ounce. Uh, so it's an American apple and an ounce is 30 grams. Uh, so 20 ounce is 600 grams. So uh, there are some apples that are huge indeed. And uh, a few years ago, we had fa- we found one, I think it was even 800 grams. Uh, so they can grow quite big. But also, if you, um, you may not be aware, but... In uh, Korea, for example, uh, they they actually grow pears to be huge. Uh, they actually want them all to be one kilo or so, uh, because the whole thing is that it's about the culture of sharing. Uh, so they um, it's uh, they present the fruit in in a special way and um, and not just eat the one uh, the whole fruit themselves. No, they they cut it up and share it. Uh, so that's why they want the big pears. Uh, so. 
Yeah, it's, it's really interesting when you think about what customers want and how that can lead to different varieties being developed. And we saw yesterday an apple that was, you know, it was, it was pretty much just about as big as my head and it was quite heavy. And um, we thought that might be a problem trying to get it in a box and, and sell it when all the other apples are small. So in the grading shed, um, the pack house, all those, those apples that are a different size get sorted out so that um, you can package as many apples in a box as possible so you can get more apples in a shipping container and get them overseas um, more efficiently, so using less energy to, to get them to market. So, yeah, it, you decide basically what kind of apple size you want and you develop the, the cultivars and, and things to meet that need. Um, most people like a, you know, a moderate-sized apple, but tomorrow we're actually going to look at some little mini apples um, from Rocket, so stay tuned to find out more about that. And question nine, please. What inspired you to start this program? So the, the research that these people are doing, Vincent, what, what inspired your work? Well, uh, first of all, uh, the breeding program, uh, developing new cultivars. Um, yeah, there's a very strong market uh, drive there, that, uh, which I mentioned before. Consumers want uh, uh, so something new to eat, uh, so there's always room for improvement. Um, as Shelley mentioned, the old cultivars, uh, they were good back then, regarded as good back then, but um, yes, uh, expectations change, so we... Um, we developed new cultivars that look different. Um, um, Chrissy already mentioned we are breeding uh, red-fleshed apples right now, and uh, and also working on the resistances. So um, there's still traits that we can add to apples to make them distinct. Uh, because at the same time, we're actually in a highly competitive world. Uh, so there's many breeding programs around the world. So we have to make sure we develop cultivars that are distinct from all the others and uh, so that consumers do buy them. And we have, it's all reflects back to the industry here that the, the industry is competitive too, uh, that growers can keep selling apples. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's a chain uh, here from breeding right through to orchard, orchard and the consumer. Mm, and it must be being done well because for the fourth year running the World Apple Review has judged our apple industry, the New Zealand apple industry, as being the most competitive in the world. So we're able to produce pretty good apples. And Chrissy, you've been working on the red-fleshed apple. What, what is special about that other than it's, it's red? Um, it tastes a little different as well. Um, I think they are usually available or their, their harvest window is a little bit earlier than normal apples. So, um, yeah, it's just more that they look different and they taste, they, some of them have like a fruity taste, so they have a dif different flavour than a normal apple. Bit more sour, so some people like the sourness. And it's just really the novel that it looks different that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I can add to that too, because uh, uh, we also have a peer breeding program and uh, colleagues, because uh, the, the breeding program is done in Mochueca and colleagues uh, came up last week and they brought some peers and, and one of them uh, totally tasted like a coconut. <laughs> truly, you were eating a peer, but uh, it, it was all coconut. Um, so here you go, because uh, if you think uh, there's some old cultivars, um, 
that are named like winter banana. So it's an apple, but uh, probably the reason why it was called banana is so that it has a tint of uh, of banana flavor. We, we have an uh, ananas rainette. Ananas is the French word for pineapple, and the apple tastes like pineapple. And there's a, something called strawberry, uh, early strawberry or so. So those apples uh, are named after their flavors. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about um, fruit that we now take for granted um, as being available in the supermarket and being something that we want to buy that has been across. Um, a nashy pear is a bit of a cross, isn't it? it? It sort of looks more like an apple, but tastes a bit like a, a, a pear. Um, it's something that meets a need in, in consumers in terms of, you know, it's easy to eat, it's nice and crisp, but it's got its own distinct flavour. So you might be able to think of other varieties that um, we've come to love and they didn't always exist. They've been bred so that we've got a different variety of something to eat. And now you're, I think we're up to your last question, Tamatia Intermediate. Um, getting back to robotic picker, um, I've heard that my dad's an orchardist and doesn't pick up black spot or some of the diseases on the apple. It just picks up the red. Ah, wow, that, that's really interesting and I'm sure it's been trialled, but do you guys have anything to add to that? Well, so, um, yes, uh, the, the, the picker, uh, the picking machine would have a camera and read the red on the fruit, but uh, obviously it's not picking up enough detail to actually uh, uh, see the, the black spot at that stage. Uh, so. But um, when the fruit is harvested and goes into the packing line, I, I know, I understand where your dad comes from because he basically says, well, that's fruit, I don't need to pick it, uh, just let it drop. Uh, but uh, obviously technology has not advanced uh, to that stage. It could, uh, wouldn't surprise me in the future, it would happen. But currently that fruit would still end up in the bin, go to the pack house, and in the pack house, uh, the, there's the technology that can actually separate those uh, fruits uh, because... They, they take multiple pictures of the, the fruit that's turning around on, on the, uh, the grading uh, belt. And, um, and so with the, and, and I mean, it's technology is beyond my comprehension, but the, uh, so that uh, the cameras and, the, and the, the grading machine can actually tell, well, that fruit goes, it goes in a different lane and drops out and in the back somewhere and gets discarded. Uh, so uh, that technology is there now in, in the back house. But who knows, maybe in the future, uh, it might all happen in the orchard. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to know whether it's more efficient to um, just pick everything and then sort it in the pack house or to sort a little bit more when you're picking so that the pack house doesn't have to sort through so much. I'm sure there's a lot of research that could be done to, to see what was most efficient um, in terms of the use of technology. But that's a really good point. And I know the robots are still being trialled and there's a lot of work to be done to make them really, really useful. And I hear they're actually really noisy in the way they operate at the moment. And if you want to operate them 24-7, you're going to not um, be very kind to your neighbours. So I'm sure there will be lots of work being done to try and make these 
robotic pickers quieter as well. And on there too, uh, I don't know whether anyone uh, of you was up late enough last night, there was a program on, on artificial intelligence on TV and they actually showed the kiwi fruit uh, picker, uh, but that one is based on on using, of replicating the hands of humans and actually pick the fruit. So that will be a very quiet uh, technique. Uh, so, because the, the ones that's used for apples, uh, they use vacuum. big vacuum, uh, sounds like vacuum cleaners. I mean, a huge noise indeed. Uh, so uh, maybe in future for Apple, uh, I'm sure there's actually another company somewhere uh, they're more using the kiwi fruit technology where you replicate the hands and actually have the robotic hands lift the fruit of the tree as as a normal as fruit should be picked and uh, so to have the stalks still on the fruit and all those things so yeah if you maybe find it online you can actually see that kiwi fruit uh, machine and it has multiple hands uh, too so uh, yeah. interesting to see very cool and um so there might be less people involved in the likes of picking fruit and more people involved in the likes of programming robots and working on that sort of technology so um, it might be an area of industry that you're interested in working in later on so you might might be um, wanting to develop your tech skills I don't know it might be something you're interested in or not so thank you very much Thomasia Intermediate great questions this morning and good that you could join us for those so thank you very much for asking your questions great that you could join us and great that We've got listening schools with us as well. So we're going to spend the next few minutes answering some questions. We're rapidly running out of time. But remember, you can join us again tomorrow to ask extra questions. So if you scroll down to the bottom of your screen, you'll see a little chat bubble. If you click on that, it will open up the chat window. And we'll have time for a, a few questions, which Barry in the Learns Office is going to read out for us. Um, first one, there's a couple here already, um, but one of them, do you have pollinators for your own bees in the orchards? Oh, good question. Um, we, for the breeding program, we actually pollinate the trees ourselves because we want to choose which pollen goes on what tree. Um, but for when we've got um, growing our new seedlings, we bring in bees, so our beekeeper will come and bring in bees and they come around and they do all the pollinating of those trees. There's like I think 15,000 two and three year old apple trees in our orchard. So if we were to go around and try and do that ourselves it would take forever. So the bees do most of that work for us except for when we're trying to cross, when we want to make sure that we've got a Pacific type we're not the parentage of a fruit, then we will do that pollinating ourselves. Mm, so very important that we look after our bees because they have a, a very important job to do. Thanks, that was a great answer. Um, so that was from the Thompson Twins. Um, the next one's from Clover, and I want to know, in your job, do you use a microscope? And if so, what for? And I guess, you know, how good is it? I'm, I'm just going to scroll around the room at this point in time. And um, you can see behind me there that... As a microscope. So I would say, yes, I use microscopes. But Chrissy, do you want to elaborate on how you use them? Um, yes, we use microscopes. One of the things um, in our program is when we do the scab inoculation, we have to see how what concentration of the scab is in our solution. So we will put a bit of that onto a slide and then do a count 
and then we use a calculation to figure out the concentration before we um, inoculate our plants. And we also use the microscope to look at pollen. So we might collect pollen, store it for a year, and then want to use that for crossing onto a tree the next year. We want to make sure that that pollen is still viable. So we do a test where we see if a tube grows from that pollen when we put it in a sugar solution, and we look at that under the microscope to see the small pollen grains. Wow, that sounds like really intricate work and not something that you could do without a microscope. You wouldn't be able to see what was going on. So being able to look at very tiny things under the microscope. Good question. So there are no others here. A couple have had to go because of uh, time. Um, but I've, I've got one. I sort of asked it yesterday why there were so many different varieties, but when you look at something like potatoes, there are potatoes that are really good for mashing, really good for making, different ones good for chipping, different ones that are good for roasting. With apples, um, is, it, is that the same? And are you breeding like, still breeding things like cooking apples? Mm, good question, because I, I really like apple crumble and I'm always <laughs> looking for a good apple to cook for an apple crumble. So, yeah, we're not uh, specifically breeding for uh, cooking apples. Uh, so, um, no, our focus is very much on eating fresh apples. Uh, so whether it's in your lunch box, lunch box or after lunch, or any time in the day, it's all focused on texture, juiciness, uh, so that they're crisp and, and firm. And uh, But at the same time, uh, so, I mean, there's some old cultivars, cooking apples still around. I come from Holland. Uh, Boscope is the variety there that's used uh, for applesauce and for and baking. Uh, but there, actually, there are breeding programs, uh, several around the world, that focus on breeding cider apples. So cider apples have... They're not very good eating. They, a lot of, they have a lot of uh, tannins which taste bitter or astringent, so they're horrible eating. But they're very good for making cider. Uh, so yes, uh, that's one breeding target for, for some breeding programs around the world. And I guess New Zealand um, focuses on the eating apples, the fresh ones, because we do them so well and they can fetch a good price overseas. Um, but there's still lots of varieties that you can get in New Zealand that are good for, for cooking. And you just have to test them out, which is not a bad process, really. <laughs> good stuff. Oh, well, thanks, thanks, everyone, for your questions. Uh, one more. Got... One more. Okay, we've got time for one <laughs> quick Last question, one. Mary. Yeah, so from the Thompson twins again, how long does an apple last after you pick it? And I bet there's some difference here. Oh, oh that say... is a good question. Thanks, Thompson twins. So most apples are put into storage now and they some companies will put it in what they call a smart fresh. So it has a combination of gases that stops the apples from maturing. Um, that helps with sending things overseas that might take six or ten weeks to put in a ship to send to Asia or Europe. At the moment, I think some apples can last up to over 20 weeks. That's why at the end of this year, you'll still see apples in Pack and Save and New World that were picked early this year because they've been in storage and they've been able to not go rotten because of the they haven't matured and they've been kept cool for that whole time as well. Is it 20, 20 months? Well, in fact, uh, all, overseas, uh, they do keep uh, apples a year round. Um, like I know in Europe, 
so there's the new season, Golden Delicious, while some of the previous years, so they've been in store for a year, are still in store, and still could be available in the market. So oh, it's yeah. pretty extreme um, what can be achieved. Uh, so what they do in these cool stores, they create a special environment which is called controlled atmosphere. They reduce the oxygen levels, increase the CO2 levels to stop them respirating and, and then high humidity will stop them shriveling using smart fresh as Chrissy meant, uh, which stops the ethylene production. The ethylene is a hormone that uh, makes the apple ripen. Uh, so I think stopping all those things uh, can we can actually store apples here around. Uh, but oh, yeah. but uh, the cooling of apples uh, is um, very expensive uh, too. Uh, so in the end, those fruits, do they still, is it an economic uh, activity? for? But that's for the growers uh, to decide. Uh, so, But we, from Planet Food, we would prefer that we grow apples in the Southern Hemisphere and then in the Northern Hemisphere, as you know, the seasons are half year. Um, apart and so we can actually have relatively fresh fruit supplied year-round by having fruit half a year fruit uh, supplied from the southern hemisphere and half a year from the northern hemisphere so that's a bit more where we target uh, the production mm, so if you want to keep your apples for longer keep them in the fridge um, we did visit the cool store yesterday and I can vouch for the fact that it is very cool at 0 0.5 degrees it is very cold indeed but yeah, I didn't know to keep the apples in the fridge actually. Mm. So rather than in the fruit bowl, um, put them in the fridge and they will last longer. Great question to end on. Thanks everyone for your thoughtful questions this morning. And remember to join us again tomorrow at 9.15am. And in the meantime, we'll all say goodbye. Kaki Bye guys. Well done. Bye bye. 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 Yes. Bye everyone, have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow.